Good morning podcast and welcome to the Pieti Lambert show, the one and only podcast for photographers, videographers and creators in general. All right, today we've got another special guest. Her name is Danielle Da Silva. Danielle is a photographer, photojournalist, director and speaker. Danielle is also the founder of Photographers Without Borders and this is exactly why this conversation is going to be amazing for you. We're going to be digging into how she works on the field, meaning how she works when she's out there on her adventures trying to share a strong message, trying to create stories that have an impact for change. How do you share those stories that will inspire people to take actions? And on top of that, we'll be digging a little bit into the gear she takes on her adventure, how you can really get started as a photographer and what the impact of your camera can be in this world. So I think that conversation is going to be awesome. I really, really enjoy Enjoyed my time speaking with Danielle. It's very different from the other photographers that I've had so far. We're talking photojournalism and we're talking about really trying to have an impact with your camera. So if you're ready, let's get started. Let's welcome Danielle to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Danielle. Hi, Pierre. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm in Paris. And from what you were saying, you're in Toronto, right? I'm in Toronto, yes, and it's sunny. Oh, that's awesome. So just across the pond from, uh, yeah, France to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I'll be in your neck of the woods in a couple of weeks. Oh, nice. What what What's bringing you to France? Are you going to shoot something specific? Yeah, I'm going to be documenting um, one of the largest Roma pilgrimages, and it happens in the south of France near Saint-Marie-de-la-Mer. Oh, wow. That sounds great. I didn't even know there was a pilgrimage going on uh, very soon over there. Well, there's so much going on in France. You can't keep track of it all. <laughs> and not just the strikes, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle, um, well, since you're going there, can you can I ask you like super technically, how do you how are you gonna shoot it? Uh usually I'm always carrying around my Sony A9 and my Sony A7S2. And my 24 to 70 2.8 G master lens is really my go-to for documentary. So that's something I'll definitely have on me at all times. And then I'll switch between my 50 mil Zeiss 1.4 uh, and my 70 to 200 2.8 G Master. Um so yeah, that's like a that's like my full kit actually. I try to keep everything really light, um, and then I have a few other lenses for cinema. But yeah, how, how is light working with this seventy two hundred to eight? How is light working or life? <laughs> light, light. Um, with all of the lenses, I mean, it's incredible. Um, everything works really well under different lighting conditions and. Um, I'm loving all of them. Like I'm pretty new to them since I uh, became a Sony Alpha female. I got handed all of these stunning lenses. So the light, yeah, it handles light beautifully. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, no, no, I, I see what you mean. And um, I just got the 2470 uh, not long ago, just as a rental to try it out. And I have to say, it's so versatile. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. You can so much of it. So do you do you keep uh, both cameras with lens on at all times, or do you do you switch uh, back and forth? Uh, well, I have them both on hand with a lens on, but I only like to have one camera out at a time. Like I don't like to go around with like two cameras, uh, especially when I'm doing work like this, where I don't want to come across as like just super 
you know, Rambo like with my cameras. <laughs> I want to like, blend in a little bit more. And yeah, that's another reason why I love my Sony because it's so small and compact and, you know, it doesn't stand out as like a big camera, but it does so many amazing big things internally. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's a little body packed with like magical features. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's what I would say for sure. Yeah, magical features. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Daniel, for the people listening right now who don't really know who you are, can you give us a little bit of your origin story? How did you get started in life? What brought you where you are today? My origin story. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, it would be impossible to go on a linear path for that, but I'll try my best. Um, I am a, the CEO of Photographers Without Borders, and it's our 10th anniversary this year. So, oh, congrats. Uh, Thank you. Um, I started the organization with two other folks uh, 10 years ago after seeing how the development and sustainable development spheres um, were operating. And I think there's so many amazing people doing so much amazing work in, in the field, but many of the larger institutions do take on sort of like a very, I guess I could say neo-colonial approach to development, which I found problematic. And I was really entranced by the work of smaller NGOs when I had a chance to work, you know, on the ground with communities that were, you know, um, creating their own and not just NGOs, but anyone who's like kind of working from the ground up and um, really listening to the community is part of the community. Um, and so when I started out, I really wasn't a photographer. I was someone who was making their way in the sustainable development world who wanted to work for the United Nations and make an impact that way. Like, um, by by helping in different countries and at home as well because I live in Canada I, I grew up in Canada and we've got um, a lot of a lot of problems to deal with here on the human rights front as well so uh, an environment um, but that was where my passion really lie lay and it still lies I want to um, I want to help you know this world is such a beautiful experience and everything that we get to do is such a beautiful experience and it would be so nice if we can prolong it for future generations um but i really don't think that you know it's worth worth doing that while forsaking human rights and dignity and i feel like a lot of the conservation efforts in the past especially have done this where they prioritize conservation and wildlife megafauna charismatic megafauna Um, and don't prioritize people and their needs. So, I mean, I really just saw that there was this need to shift the approach significantly. And so when I, you know, I had a camera always just because my dad is like very <laughs> technical and loves gadgets and he, he's an astronomer. So he gave me like a film camera when I was very young. Um, I loved painting. I loved art. So it was just a natural kind of curiosity for me to satisfy with a camera, with a manual film camera and to like work in the dark room and try to figure out how things worked. So it was just like a fun kind of thing for me. And then I brought my camera with me, you know, on these projects in the field um, to India, to South America, Central America. And, you know, with the photographs that I was able to, to take, um, when I brought them back home, it was like I could talk for hours you know trying to explain to people the problem of the caste system in India and you know the plight of the Dalit um, communities but when you show people images it just like totally shifts their mentality and of course this was like 10 years ago so that was pre-Instagram and like when social media was just starting to become a thing and 
you know, for me, I just saw and noticed the impact that the, the images had more than anything, you know. Um, so from the images that I took in India, like I raised so much money that I was able to um, help the community build nine schools. And that to me was just like, wow, like storytelling can change the, the playing field and level the playing field for these NGOs that are like doing this amazing work, but are having so much problem you know, finding funding, because that was the other side of things for me, like smaller NGOs and small grassroots efforts are probably the most impactful, but the least funded. Um, and also uh, just like they don't have the the skills necessarily or the or should be allocating funds, you know, when they're fighting poverty, like to marketing and storytelling. So it's not it may now be like an obvious necessity for organizations and for any type of anyone who's doing anything these days. But back then it wasn't so obvious and it wasn't so accessible. Um, so, yeah, I started Photographers Without Borders with the idea to make storytelling more accessible um, for these communities and for us to be like a connecting point for storytellers and communities all over the world who need uh, storytelling help. Uh, and now... It's, it's just grown significantly. Um, my, I myself just have continued doing my work as a storyteller uh, in both the photography and the film realms. And I consider myself now like a photographer, filmmaker, director. Uh, I'm speaking uh, for National Geographic and several other organizations. And, um, you know, now I'm a Sony Alpha female too. So it's given me a lot of opportunities and resources and I just feel like I'm very happy. Like, I, I love what I do. I feel like I'm useful. Um, and it's something that, so for Sony Alpha Female, I have uh, been paired with a mentor. And my mentor is Christina Mittermeier, who is an amazing National Geographic photographer who is busy saving our oceans and marine life um, at the moment. Big work. Um, <laughs> yeah. But she taught me this word, ikigai which is the thing that you love and is the thing that you're good at and the thing that you get paid for. And it's like your life's purpose. And for me, I feel like I found that. And so I feel so privileged and lucky. And then of course, for me with privilege comes responsibility to do things in a good way. So I spent a lot of my time talking about ethics and ethics and photo documentary and yeah, sorry for the long winded answer, but <laughs> that's the story. No, that's awesome. That's a great answer. And I mean, there is a lot to be spoken about. So it, it was, it is a question that is very loaded also. It's like <laughs> everything. Um, that, that's awesome. I want to bounce back on a few points. Uh, I think one of the first one would be how, how deep do you think images have an impact in or history or in change that we want to do around? And do you think even less talented photographers can have an impact oh i think images have had all the impact in the world i think for such a long time photographs specifically have um played a huge role in propaganda just because they it wasn't accessible and so the folks that had access to you know the printing press or to um you know to publishing in newspapers and magazines And, you know, the, the stories that were privileged, especially at the advent of like the camera where it was like widely used, you know, which wasn't long ago. Um, so I think images have had the power to change narratives completely, like get people signed on to wars, stop wars, um, you know, by showing people the realities of war and what their children and their fathers and their daughters are, you know, doing. 
um, in the world. And then also just to document, you know, to, to create evidence for like all the different things that have happened in the world um, and to create narratives and stories around that. So, you know, like, and then different, and, and the way that we like view things to shifts because of images and how they're paired with words. And so a hundred percent, I definitely think images have had such a beautiful, profound impact, both, you know, for good and for worse. But um, I think anybody, especially these days, can have an impact with their storytelling. I mean, I don't even know what it means to be the most talented photographer, just because I've seen so many different types of photographers who do things so many different ways. And I think that um, what I love is like when people have the freedom in their minds to play and to create new genres and new you know, experiment and create new methodologies for what they do with their photographs. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it's limited now. I think that, you know, it's, there's more freedom in how you express yourself. And uh, I think it's an open playing field. What do you think? I will 100% agree with you um, <laughs> on several points. I think the first one is simply the impact of images and especially nowadays, but before too, but you had, as you mentioned, a bar to entry or you had filters and the public would only see what uh, everyone else wanted to see uh, or mm -hmm. at least what the gatekeepers wanted them to see. Mm -hmm. It's clear and it's like 2000% clear that uh, especially when it comes to storytelling, the talent of the photographer does not matter as much as just grabbing the image and having an image that has an impact just because of what's happening in that image, you know? And mm. I, maybe you'll agree or disagree, but I think the talent of the photographer comes in the way where for not, not so obvious stories, are you still able to visually communicate something strong? You know, if you're shooting, mm -hmm. uh, you, you might know better, but if you're shooting, for example, crowds who are, or riot or war or whatever, it's very obvious in the images what's happening. But if you're shooting, for example, climate change, or if you're shooting uh, communities who, who, who have problems in this world or who are trying to do something better, I think that's where maybe your talent or like your ability to tell better story comes into play. Oh, for sure. I think, yeah, yeah the storytelling ability is definitely uh, one that needs to be cultivated. And I think like back to frames and narratives, like I think it's important when I talk about ethics, I'm not just talking about like how we take the photo, but even how we how we frame the world and how we see the world, I think makes a huge difference. And um, like I said before, like in the past, certain stories have been privileged over others. And obviously because access is an issue, certain people had that power of creating stories, um, whereas others didn't. Like, so I think it's, it's important to think about even how we're framing things and to what audiences. Um, and so like the storyteller, it's not just about being a strong storyteller for me anyway. It's about, having a strong sense of understanding of what you're seeing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and then tailoring it for the audience you're trying to reach, I imagine. Yeah. Interesting. How, how much do you, do you think the gear comes into play into your work? Like from zero to 10? <laughs> um, wow. Uh, I don't know. Maybe like a seven. I was about to say you can't answer seven. <laughs> What if I can't answer seven, you say? Yeah. What can I answer? <laughs> Any number, but not seven. Oh, okay, okay, fine. Um, I'd say a six then. Interesting. What about you? What do you think? 
I, I would agree with you on on the six because I've I've seen crazy stuff done just with phone and with crazy impact. So <laughs> to me, it matters less and less uh, for specific things. In general, I think it will have an impact uh, when you're trying to keep a certain consistency or a certain look of things just because you're trying to tailor it for certain people. But if you're just trying to relate to anyone else, sometimes the, a not-so-pretty picture works way better. Yeah, um, I think that for sure, like I can say that since I got this amazing Sony gear, like I just my photography and my ability to take them and having consistent yeah consistently sharp images has has improved greatly like I don't have to think twice about so many things and just being able to see the results of you know reducing the shutter speed and the changing the aperture like directly in the viewfinder like that helps 10 times to do what I'm what I'm trying to do and trying to achieve but yeah I think that I'm grateful that I started out with one camera with one fixed lens and, you know, that really pushed me and challenged me and made me a great photographer as well. So, you know, it's good to start somewhere and then, you know, keep building as you go. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. That's awesome. Do, so I have a quick question around photographers around borders. How do you, how do you guys start a project? How do you, how do, can you walk us a little bit through your process? Uh, how do you pick up a new project basically? For sure. So in the beginning, it was more, it was organic. It was just, you know, people that I've worked, I had worked with in the past or that people that were then part of the organization uh, knew uh, and had worked with as well, because we were all came from a development background for the most part. And so now it's still organic. So a lot of the organizations that we work with refer other organizations um, or someone hears about what we're doing and, you know, just inquires about how they can get involved. But the first thing you see when you go to our website is, you know, I want to become a, a storyteller or I want to become a partner. So we open it up. Um, we try to make it as accessible as possible by opening up that question right at the very beginning. Like, do you need photography or do you want to be a photographer? You know, so we have those two sides set up and then we it's a careful process of vetting and selection against, you know, a decision make matrix that we've created and criteria that we've created, uh, which is, which is also constantly evolving just to fit with the landscape. And, and uh, from there we select uh, 60 projects for the year and we then pair them with 60 photographers. Um, so anyone can become a member of Photographers Without Borders. It's the best way to support us. It's the best way to kind of get involved um, on any level. Um, so anyone who's a member gets our biannual magazine, uh, which is like a beautiful print production. And then we also, they can also then um, apply for specific projects. And so when we're vetting the photographers and the storytellers, because we also do um, accept directors and filmmakers, um, we uh, want to make sure that, they, that they're the best person for that project. Um, so we look at things like language skills or past experience. Um, like let's say you're, you're photographing, um, you know, ch children, you know, have you worked with children before? Uh, things like that. And then looking at the work, obviously doing a portfolio review. So we do a, a portfolio review for all of our members if they're interested and we'll give feedback based on what we see. And, and then from there we, yeah, we try to match the best photographer to the story that makes sense. So it's a, it's a lot, it's a, the matching process is where the, 
fine skills come in. <laughs> it's it's a difficult process, but yeah, we we have 900 members, so you know, trying to get everyone matched to a project is not possible. So it's a very um, it's a selective process. That's yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, reviewing portfolios and deciding on people is is like the hardest. I feel it is very hard, but it's so fun. It's so fun to see different people's work. Um, and it's interesting to see like who is part of our membership, you know, it's like, it's amazing. Do you, do you, well, so do you, would you have a tip uh, based on all the portfolios you reviewed? Would you have like a universal thing that you see, not universal, but like something that strikes you every time that people do either really well or really wrong. And you're like, why do you guys keep doing that? You have. Oh, I'm so glad you're asking me that. That's such a great question. Yeah. Number one, when you look at someone's portfolio, you're just looking at the overall aesthetic. Like before you've even looked at any images, you're looking almost at how have they laid this out? Is it clean? Uh, am I distracted? Um, so that's like the first point. And it really does make a difference. Like there's some photographers who are very well established who can have websites that are more difficult to navigate. But if you're just starting, I think it's important to have a very clean, consistent website with very few tabs. Um, and just like a very direct path to seeing their work. Um, and then I like to see, uh, first of all, I think people, when they're culling and editing their own websites, they have difficulty with um, uh, getting it down to just the very best of the best. Like, I think that people get very nostalgic about their images and attached to them for personal and emotional reasons, which is great and important. Um, I just think that there's a place for that on your website where it doesn't distract from you know, if I want to see what you're putting down as your portfolio and I want to see the best of the best images that you have to create, like, I don't want to see it cluttered up because people do just not necessarily me, but um, people do judge your website, judge your portfolio by the weakest image, you know, the weakest perceived oh, image. Really? I would say so. I think that you get distracted easily when you're looking at things like this and you wonder like, you know, what, where's the sensibility in including an image like this amongst all of these amazing images. So you wonder what they would submit to you if they were to do an assignment for you, you know, how they would call their images and select. So, you know, all of those things come into play <laughs> and then you're finally looking at the images and you really want to see um, powerful storytelling, powerful portraiture, um, you know, um so so anyone from amateur to professional could be a contender it's just a matter of having i think those three things down pat like when you're when you're presenting your portfolio so key um just being careful about what you're putting up there um and if you want to have like you know stories or you know sets of images where it doesn't necessarily fit into your like cream of the crop images then have a story section where you can publish like you know narratives full narratives with like you know, 10 images that tell a story about one thing and, you know, where you can kind of have mini magazine portfolios almost. I think that that's, that, that's really nice. Which you do on your, on your website, if I'm, if I'm correct. That's true. Um, my, my website's newly revamped, so I have yet to publish enough stories to, for me to be proud. To. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really, yeah, I tried to do that with uh, my website. So you'll see images in my story section that you will not see on my portfolio side. That's, that's, I, I love your advice. I think it's great advice. Um, fun fact, I also reviewed hundreds and hundreds of websites on photographers <laughs> because I have a booking site for photographers that I started about four years ago now. Oh. And so we, I would have to vet photographers, right? 
before I accept them. So I would see their portfolios and I would see their website. And sometimes, yeah, I mean, sometimes you cringe, sometimes you're really surprised. Um, but what you say is like the aesthetic, number one, like it, it's so true and I forgot about it. And you saying it just reminded me of it. It's like, you don't even, you didn't, you didn't even see a photo, you already judged it. You're like, mm-hmm. mm, okay, I'm confused. Or wow, what's there? Yes. It's <laughs> so interesting. Do you, um, how, how do you, uh, how, how does one select his best images? Should one ask someone else to be, or like a few members, like, hey, what are my best images? Or should they do it themselves? What do you think? I think it's so good to get feedback from people about your work. I mean, that's personal for me, but um, if you're going to live and interact in the world and and because I want to have, you know, I want to publish images that have impact, like you were saying, and that tell a story without having too much context. And when you are trying to do that, sometimes you do get emotionally attached to your work and you're, you know, you kind of uh, gravitate to some images towards uh, rather than others. And, when other people look at your work, I feel like you're able to see how they're seeing. And that's a that's a, a problem with storytelling for change. Like I was saying before, it's um, trying to figure out, have a good understanding of what it is that you're seeing. And what I mean by that is um, understanding what it is you're trying to communicate. Like I teach a course called um, Environmental Visual Communication, where we train environmentalists and scientists like yeah, and students uh, who are in those fields to communicate like what they're trying to do to the audiences they're trying to connect to. And the problem is people are always thinking from their own perspective. And, you know, usually if you're doing these things, you're already like a changed mind. You've already like accepted that climate change is happening and, you know, you're already like there, but you're communicating to people as if you're communicating to yourself instead of communicating to people that, you know, are you from five years ago before you knew about any of this stuff? You know what I mean? So I think, um, yeah, when you have fresh eyes looking at your work, you're able to see things through a different, oh gosh, a different lens. <laughs> That's our tagline. Um, <laughs> and uh, you're able to, like last night I showed my work to my manager um, because I'm trying to select two images for a Sony exhibit that's coming up. And she had amazing feedback for me. Um, and she was able to see it not just from, you know, which images should you choose because they're beautiful and striking or powerful, but but which images... Um, represent you as a photographer, you know, or represent um, what you're trying to achieve in the next few months, you know. So it's good to have that feedback. Yeah, that's really good feedback. And um, I, I like what you're saying, where you're like, okay, I need to communicate to people who have no context with my images. And I also do it. So if anyone's listening and is like, into street photography or into travel or even into portraits uh, and you have a favorite image but you're trying to decide between three images and you don't know which ones to choose i like to ask strangers or like people i know that are that are not emotionally attached to them um, simply because it within a blink of an eye you see where they go and i think i trust that more than me yep i'm like (laughs) well if if all of those people think that one's better, but I don't agree, it still doesn't matter. I will have more impact with that one. Exactly. Like if random people are saying that that's the one, then that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I think that's why Instagram sometimes is not bad. You know, uh, I think my most 
fun fun fact the most like picture i have was shot with my phone uh <laughs> on the manhattan bridge in a fairly famous spot but just the conditions were just absolutely insane and i couldn't fit my camera through the hole i was like you know what i'm just gonna have fun with my <laughs> phone and and little did you know it ends up like that and if i had had to choose i would have probably taken a photo uh, that I took with my camera because I'm emotionally attached that it's on the camera or whatever. And, uh, but then you let the crowd decide and you're like, Oh God. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's the way it should work. I think that's what it's for. That's what our work is for anyway. It's for the people. So <laughs> that's great. Daniel. So in terms of impact, when you're telling stories, do you have a, a story for us or do you have one particular moment you remember when you were working you're like i'm helping and i'm doing this for the right reason or what i'm doing is helpful do you did you ever have that click in your mind all the time i mean i love what i do mostly because i don't i'm not just like i hate saying like i'm not just but i i don't take <laughs> photographs to take photographs like not just to show the world in some particular way but i'm doing it in partnership usually with um like i said communities and not-for-profits that are doing amazing things already and just need you know that push or that assistance um especially in the online sphere and so i feel like that all the time um but recently i was working with an organization in india called Shiro's Hangout. And so they do work with um, acid attack survivors. So these are women and girls, mostly women and girls who've been attacked with acid by, you know, stepmothers or, you know, just people that, you know, men or fathers or even who act out of jealousy or um, there's, there's many reasons and they pour acid on people's faces. And so they're disfigured usually if they don't pass away from the experience. That is crazy. I'm going to stop you right now, Danielle. I'm going to invite everyone to go to Instagram on the, the Danielle De Silva, if I'm correct, to your Instagram account. And I think you just published an image like a few days or weeks ago about it. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry for the interruption. <laughs> Please continue. No, thank you for the plug. So yeah, it's at the Danielle De Silva. Um, and it's a picture of Rupa. So she was attacked by her stepmother while she was sleeping. Um, and her stepmother attacked her with the intention, I think, to kill her because she wanted her children um, to have uh, the inheritance from her father. And she went to jail for a year and a half Um because the jail sentences are just not very long for these types of things if people are convicted at all. And um, and then Rupa ended up forgiving her when she came out of jail. Um, and so the photograph features Rupa and like, and she has a tattoo of her mother, biological mother's name on her arm. And I just love that image because I feel like in the past, a lot of acid attack survivors, they get portrayed in this very like black and white, like dark kind of... Um, you know, way. And I wanted to do it in a different way. Uh, one that I felt really, after spending time with these women, um, really reflected their, like their spirits. Cause I didn't see like sad, depressed or, you know, vulnerable. I saw very strong and like passionate. So this, this organization that they all work with, um, it's a, it's a cafe that's run for and by acid attack survivors in Agra. And it's amazing that it's had such a, profound impact because usually people who are disfigured in Indian society 
or undergo this type of experience end up on the fringes of society or on the street or, you know, just in dark corners and people don't see them. And so, um, and then the problem, of course, doesn't exist because of that. So this organization is allowing for them to be seen every day by anyone who wants to come and have like, they serve food and they have like a cool shop with like really cool things you can buy. Um, but they, they're able also to have like an income, right? So that they're financially independent and don't have to rely on like their fathers or their, or the men that perpetrated against them or, you know, to, to have a roof over their heads basically so that they're not further abused because that does happen as well. Um, and they basically, basically become like bonded servants to their family because they're just like not suitable to be outside. Um, and so this organization is so unfortunately because the Indian government wants to widen the road, the whole cafe is being uh, uprooted. And so they have to find a new space and redesign and renovate. So they really needed fun. They need funding right now for uh, the new space. So I took uh, some images like of the, of the women that work there and we created a campaign, which hasn't been released yet, but I did post that one image and yeah, we're hoping to fundraise uh, the, the, the remaining amount of money that they need to build this new space. Uh, and so from that one post that I did um, in one day, I think they had several thousand rupee donations um and so that's like a small way that i can contribute obviously like because i don't just want to raise awareness i feel like i need to take it a step further in my work i want to like show real impact you know and not in a way where it's like okay like you know i think you guys need a new a new place like it's not my decision as to what they need it's i want to be supportive and a partner to all the communities i work with so it's about asking them what do they need and then supporting them with those things whether it's money or volunteers or you know if they if they if it is awareness like let's say it's you know creating awareness in india about acid attack survivors or acid attacks in general and how you can get help that's that in itself is an important thing so sometimes awareness is really important but you know through my work i've been able to save like 20 hectares of rainforest in sumatra and send girls to school in india and you know those are the tangible impacts that i want to show for my work and of course, I'm very inspired by Christina Mittermeier, um, who's making so many big changes every day with her work. And that's that's something I look up to. That, that's amazing. I think if you can have any kind of job that has a positive impact around you or in your community or or, or even in the world, uh, I think that's very fulfilling for anyone. Yeah, totally. And that's and but when I do this work, I do it with the um, with a very with an eye that's ready to be dis with a with a mindset that's ready to be dismantled at any time because I'm always learning and the more you learn the more you unlearn you know and that and then you see things differently and then you're telling your stories differently and then you know there's stories that I've told from the past that I wish that I had like thought about a little bit more you know what I mean so we all do, I mean. we all do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so nowadays I try to go I really ask a lot of questions I'm really like making sure I know what I'm talking about before I, I go into that realm that's awesome what do you travel with the team or how do you organize usually so i travel in this particular case i was by myself but i did have a friend with me who was helping me uh, my hindi is not great so she was helping me with translating uh, but usually it's me with one other person or two other people or my or by myself that okay i see and a lot of people 
uh, that I talk to are really shy to shoot strangers or to approach people, or they just feel like they're they're interrupting or like you know they're being cumbersome when they're taking photos of others. Well, do you have any tips for that? Because I see you must be literally telling people, oh, I'm gonna be shooting you. Or t- tell us more. Um, I think for me, it depends. If you're talking about street photography, that's one thing. But if we're talking about um, you know, photographing people that I'm developing a relationship with, then that's different. So with when it comes to street photography, I think that it's just important. Um, it's important to just have certain ethics in mind. Like that's a wow, that's a big conversation. But if it's if it's, uh, <laughs> I just did a whole workshop on this with um, Gallery Forty Four about ethics, and that was a really amazing workshop. Um, but we talked for like three hours about it. <laughs> so, uh, street photography and how to take photographs in a way that's not cumbersome or um invasive or exoticizing or like everything um but yeah when i'm working with people i think it's important to develop a relationship even if it's even if you only have five minutes with somebody before you know you are about to take photographs or i really try my best not to look at things with this uh, kind of extractive mentality where you're just thinking about photographs photographs like all the time you know it's really hard because especially when there's nice light and like it's hitting people. But I really try to develop a relationship. I talk to people. I want to, I really want to like have a reason to take photographs and um, it has to be a mutual thing when it comes to this kind of work. Like when I'm working with acid attack survivors, like I really want to like not just go in there looking for a story uh, to publish, you know, in a magazine or something. I really want to look for something that, you know, where people, People really need my assistance, you know? So practically, so, you're you're literally speaking with people like five, ten minutes, and then you would shoot them, um, for example, for, for whatever you need for your story. Um, do you feel that speaking with people sometimes takes away from uh, some kind of candor or how do you call that? Genuineness? Genuineness? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Authenticity? Yeah, of some kind of natural? It depends. Like, it totally depends what you're doing. Um, If it's like, so if it's me going to photograph the Roma pilgrimage, for example, in France, I don't think that, I don't necessarily need to have conversations with people because they're going to be doing their own kind of things. And, you know, they they have a procession and it's more of like documentary. And yeah, that, that for sure. If it's like an event or something, I think that candid, is important um but if it's like for example if it back to acid attacks like if i'm doing if i'm going to continue that story which i am i want to i think it's important to have a relationship so that when i'm invited into the home or when i'm in their home or in their space that like i can be more of a fly on the wall because those are situations where you can't really (laughs) it's not it's not going to be people people are always um influenced by the presence of a camera Yes. So I think the concept of like being a complete fly on the wall and there being complete candidness can sometimes be contrived, mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of like, you know, you catch an in-between moment, but really like the person's acting very nervous or like kind of not being themselves while they're, you're around because they don't know who you are. They don't know what you're doing there. You know what I mean? So sometimes the relationship can actually put people at ease and allow them to be themselves more, I think. 
totally um, totally great advice um and i will agree uh technically do you shoot in silent mode in those cases or not always 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 in stealth mode <laughs> the, the magic sneaky silent mode that's what i'm saying it's amazing for documentary like amazing i know people don't they're like wait is it done yeah i'm like yeah yeah i took like 20 shots already <laughs> <laughs> But I didn't hear anything. <laughs> no, I'm like, yeah, sorry, guys. It's <laughs> I get it. Um, that's awesome. I have one more question for you because I saw some of your photos and you used a flash when you were outside. So when are you going to use a flash? When do you not use a flash? What's your, uh, how do you feel about it? Um, I just feel like it's another tool in the tool belt. And it just um uh, depends on the situation again uh, sometimes it's just it calls for it if i'm outside and i think that how using the flash and i like i use a b10 by Profoto, and it's like an amazing thing because it's like a small strobe that i can just carry around everywhere i don't need to have it plugged in and i can have it in one hand while i'm shooting with my other hand and um it's something that can really help separate your subject from the background and give you just added impact uh, and help you focus on the subject or focus on whatever it is that you want people to see. And I think if it's like non-intrusive or if, if it's like, you know, you're shooting portraits, then you're shooting portraits. Um, but it's a great tool. I just think, you know, I use it sparingly. I don't use it all the time, uh, just when it's called for, or if it's, you know, the lighting isn't great or I need an extra bit of pop somewhere, then I'll bring it out. Interesting. Yeah, I'm asking because I'm always, so it's a very personal question, but uh, I felt in the past that whenever I would use a flash, well, it's it's very useful and I would get my shots, etc. But that was more when I was like doing portraits or weddings or stuff like that. But I feel like in some of the work, it just adds some kind of artificial layer, uh, mm. which sometimes is okay but sometimes not. So that's why I was asking, like, where do you sit and when when yes and when no? Yeah, I think uh, overall, like you were saying, it does add this artificial layer. And I like that you said that because it's like, I think when I use natural light, or sorry, um, flash, I want it to mimic natural light uh, anyway. And I want it to not interrupt the moment. So if it's something, and, and a lot of the times the work that I'm doing, it's like moments that you don't want to create you know, and you're, and when you're working candidly, I don't think it really works. But if you're, for example, if you're doing like a campaign for an organization, which we do um, sometimes, and you want to, and you're staging things a little bit just to like have that impactful messaging, then I think that that's an okay situation. Um, but I don't like it to take away from a moment or like make, or be, or, and it is invasive, it's intrusive, like you're having like a flash go off every like few seconds. So it makes it really like, natural beautiful moment into this like garish photo shoot and it yeah that doesn't work most of the time and i don't yeah. like taking it out <laughs> but. yeah so I, I can completely understand why um that's awesome danielle i i could speak for hours and i would love to go on <laughs> and change things and um and the ocean and all that i'm very passionate especially after my trip in uh, polynesia lately um but we'll keep that for another episode or for further discussion. <laughs> I want to ask you one last question. Do you have 
any recommendation for people who are lacking inspiration right now, who are a little bit blocked creatively, or they don't go out to shoot as much. They don't know what to shoot. Yeah, I think first and foremost, I find inspiration in other people's work. Um, so some people don't like to look at other people's work because they're afraid they're going to copy it or that it's going to make them feel like less than because they're going to start comparing themselves. But for me, I love creating vision boards. And uh, that's an exercise we did at so with Sony that really helped me. I We picked out a bunch of magazines that just spoke to us, where the content spoke to us or the imagery, and we just cut things out, you know, um, and put and put them on a board and in whatever sequence kind of felt right. And it was more intuitive than anything. But the things that I put on my board, I was kind of like surprised in some ways. In some ways, I was totally, you know, not shocked at all. But that really helped um, me define the aesthetic that I want to move towards. Uh, it also helped me define my like legacy, which I think is really important. Like, you know, what is it? What's your purpose? What's your raison d'etre? You know, like, why do you do what you do? And That, to me, combined with, you know, knowing what aesthetic you're going for and how you want your images to look and what you gravitate towards is a really good starting point. And then, you know, when you pick up the camera, it, you know, just having those things in mind, just see what you can create and see what you not like if you're naturally putting up portraits on your vision board, then clearly you want to shoot portraits, <laughs> you know, or if you have beautiful landscapes or if you're picking like really interesting, you know, pop art type looking pictures, then maybe that's something that you're gravitating towards, you know, maybe you want to combine design elements and yeah. And so then you can play that way. So the more you look at, the more you kind of, and I think the important thing too, when you're looking at people's work, it's like, we have to remember that everything is reused and recycled and not to, not to go copying and plagiarizing, but everybody like borrows from past artists. Which is and, totally fine. Which is totally fine. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, my, that's my personal opinion. But for me, it's totally fine to try to recreate what others did because yeah, first, you will never recreate the same thing, and second, if you do it twice, the third time it's literally yours because you're you're gonna have changed it a hundred times by then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's you never did that exercise, like on paper or whatever. I I I feel like you just motivated me. I need to do that. Last time I last time I did something similar was picking up photos for color schemes that I really liked. And I couldn't like back a few years ago, I couldn't really understand how people got like deep blues and stuff like that. And I was like, how how does that happen? So I just started analyzing a bunch of photos and that really helped out. So I think th that's literally one of the best exercises I've heard lately. So thank you so much, Danielle. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Sony. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Danielle, I want to thank you. I want to be mindful with your time. Um, so I want to thank you for being here, for being on the podcast. If you have anything you want to share with the audience, and first, if you can let them know where they can find you online, that would be awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. I love the conversation. Uh, so people can find me, all of you can find me at Uh, on Instagram at the Danielle De Silva with D A Silva, and uh, Photographers Without Borders is at Photographers Without Borders. Awesome! Thank you so much, Danielle. We'll talk to you in the next episode. We have to do a follow up. Amazing! I'd love to. It's been such a good time, Pierre. Thank you. 
All right, podcast, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed that conversation. Remember, if you enjoyed that episode, if you enjoy any episode, if you enjoy the content I create, I ask you only one thing. Please, please, please share it with your friends, with your family, with your photographer's group, everywhere you can, please share it and leave a five-star rating on iTunes and a comment if you enjoy it. Make sure you tag me on if you share it on Instagram. I love seeing what you guys uh, are saying and your feedback. So with that being said, get out there, go shoot, try something different, try something new. Have an amazing day. I'll speak to you in the next episode. Bye-bye.